0: Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus, it's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff and I'm one of the leaders here at the church and, um, I have a couple things I want to say today. I have a, a number of things I want to say today, um, but I prayed this morning that God would, would quicken my voice and remove my opinion from everything. Because I have opinions. Anyone else in the room have opinions? Right? And can I be very honest with you? My opinion does not help you. It cannot help you. My, my opinion, my thoughts are bankrupt to help you in any possible way. But the thoughts of God, the words of God, the opinions of God matter. And I think my my desire as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is to sort of assimilate his opinions. But know this, at every moment that I'm speaking, I know that there is a lens or a filter through which my words come out. And it's me. I have the the potential to say my things instead of God's things. So I prayed this morning that God would help um, clarify some of that stuff for you. And so I'll ask this, that God would give you ears to hear what he has to say, and then all of the things that Jeff says, whoever he is, right, that those things would just fall into the trash can. Right? As you walk out of here today, that they literally would just fall off of you like scales because they don't help you in any way. But the words of God would, in fact, settle deep inside of you, plant deep inside of you, and then produce something through you and in you that only God can do. So that's been kind of my whole desire. Um, This last week, uh, or two weeks ago, we started this overview of the Bible class. You saw that in the video it's a it 's a RIN group, but we really open it up to not just our church, but there 's another church in town who whos coming and meeting with us on Tuesdays and we 're talking about just the Bible from kind of a, a thirty thousand foot level. Like if we took all sixty six books of the Bible and just looked at it kind of in a real quick you know overview, what are some things that we learn about God and about us and all of that? And one of the things that I'm reminded of is I'm embarking on this overview of the Bible class because I've taken it once before. You ever, take some, you ever learn something and then forget it and have to relearn it again, right? Just me, that's okay. So I, uh, I, I'm looking forward to taking this overview of the Bible class because um, here's what I know, that even though God's people and those stories in the Bible oftentimes talk to people some two and 3,000 years ago, And their circumstances might be vastly different than ours. Their culture is vastly different than ours. What I've learned over time is that God is, in fact, immutable. And if you don't know what immutable means, it just means that he is not changing. That he is forever constant. He's the static thing in all of those stories. And if God is dealing with them 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, when, they're, when they find themselves in this particular situation, we can fully expect God to deal with us in like fashion when we find ourselves in a similar situation. That's an awful lot of words just to say. God leads them in the same way that he leads us. Yes? And as I read those stories, I find encouragement in them. Can I be very honest with you? Uh, When we read in the Old Testament where God began to build a nation or call a nation to himself, we call them the nation of Israel or the Israelites. It's basically God's people, his chosen people, which just simply means God chose them. Of all the nations of the earth, hear this, there are other nations on the earth. And there were at the time that God chose them. He chose that nation unto himself. And their response to him was just to say, I do. Just to say yes. And when God chose them, um, and we read the stories of that nation, I've learned this about them. They are incredibly fickle people. I mean, incredibly fickle people. And fickle just means this, that they, they oftentimes will change their allegiance or devotion towards God to anything else. As if just the, the changing of the wind blowing from the east to the west, all of a sudden these people who once loved God, who once served God, who once wanted to follow God and everything, have just changed their opinion about Him. And when I look at that in the Bible, I can't help but look at our own culture around us. I would never point fingers at anyone besides Joe. <laughs> but I, I, I think that's us sometimes. I'm kidding, Joe, not really you. But, but isn't, isn't, isn't that our story sometimes? Aren't, aren't we, can we be honest just for a moment, aren't we a fickle bunch sometimes? I know there's people in the room who are um, probably new Christians, and, and there's a zeal, and a vigor, and a, a wide-eyed, like, God is awesome. Like when you're a new Christian, I love that. And I hate to say this, but over time, like after the, the world just chews on you and beats you up for a while, you actually have to fight for your relationship with God. Sometimes you, if you just think that, oh, I'm a Christian now, I'll just sit down and coast like down the river, you'll find that you're going in long places where God's not going. And you have to sort of stay um, attached to him. Um, and he, he's, we see those Stories like that time and time again in all of the Old Testament. In fact, what's really funny is when God calls Israel to be his own nation, um, you'll know this story. Forgive me for just a little backstory here, but I love to put everything in context. Um, God's people, the Israelites, were held captive in a nation called Egypt under a wicked king called Pharaoh. And he enslaved them, and it was terrible for them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and God hears their cries for deliverance and sends a man named Moses to get them out. And Moses goes and rescues them, and there's some great stories in the Old Testament talk about how that happened. It's miraculous, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, right? The power of God is great in the Old Testament. He gets them out of this uh, uh, slavery in Egypt and, and drives them towards the promised land, this wonderful place that God wants to take his people and plant them there and let them grow and mature and become prosperous and all of this. And on the way to the promised land, he takes this pit stop at a mountain called Sinai and he goes up the mountain, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God and at the top of this mountain, the contract, the marriage contract between God and the people he chooses looks like the Ten Commandments. Commandments. And God says, This is I'm going to be your God. You guys will be my people. And this is how all this is going to work out. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Right? He says, Listen, put no other gods before me. Don't blaspheme my name. Treat others with kindness. And on and on it goes, and all of that. And as Moses is going, Yes and amen, yes and amen. I can't wait to come down the mountain and tell all the people how great you are, God. Right? He gets down to the bottom of the mountain and he realizes that the people, the fickle people who just got led out of Egypt have decided to forsake God and now they're worshiping this golden calf. And Moses, in frustration, throws down the commandments of God and breaks them as if the contract has been broken. The rest of the story is that God eventually writes another contract for them, which is really helpful. But Moses was so frustrated, he takes that said golden calf, he sets it on fire, burns it to ash, he pours the ash in the water and makes the people drink it. Strange? Strange? Hear what Moses is saying. Oh, you want gold to be your your idol? You want to fashion gold? Okay, then you need to dig it out of the latrine when you're finished with it. (laughs) How badly do you want it? Because it's inside of you now, and in a few days, if you know what I'm saying, it comes out, and you got to go dig it out. God's people are fickle. But God's allegiance and his devotion and his love for his people, hear me, it never wavers. If there's a constant in the universe, it is that. That God's love for his people never changes. These people, these rebellious, fickle people eventually get into the promised land and over time, many, many centuries later, they become a great nation. In fact, under a king called David, the nation just grows and grows and grows. King David, the warrior king, goes out and just takes more territory for Israel, takes more territory for Israel, takes more territory, and the kingdom becomes great. King David goes the way of all men and dies, and his son Solomon begins to rule and reign in his place. And and in this moment, the the people of Israel have a season of prosperity and blessing that the world has never seen before. There's peace and, and financial riches and everything. In fact, Solomon's kingdom was so great that other nations would send dignitaries into Israel to see the things that God was doing in his people. Traveling for hundreds of miles to see the splendor by which God was blessing his people. What we learn is that God is using his people, his nation, to be a beacon for other people to come and see. What we're learning that God is using his people to be a light, and we'll get to this later, that sits up on a hill so that others will be drawn to it like a moth to a flame. There's in fact a purpose for Israel and their existence. But these fickle people, when Solomon goes the way of all men and dies, there's a tussle for the throne of Israel. And the two sons begin to fight over the throne. And and all that to say this is that the nation that was once great and prosperous and blessed begins to fracture into two pieces. Now we have this thing called the northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel that was once united is now two pieces With two different rulers, two different kingdoms, two different plans for their lives, doing two different things for God. What we learn is that sometimes these kingdoms decided to forsake God and do things their own way. And God in his great providence allowed neighboring nations to come in and war against Israel. Their arrogance grew too great and eventually God takes the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and calls them out into exile. The southern kingdom was able to maintain some status for the next 140 years, but eventually the Babylonians come in and take Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and begin to drag all of God's people out of Israel and into the land of Babylon. And the Babylonians did this for a particular reason. They did this because they did not want the Israelites to have their identity any longer. See, every time the Israelites were in Babylon and every little trickle or or drop of Babylonian influence, it began to erode who they were as a people. Every time they worshiped their false god, their pagan's god, and caused and made Israel worship them too, slowly they began to forsake who God was. And every time they had to eat the, 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 the food that the Babylonians ate, which I don't know if you know this, but God had really strict dietary restrictions for his people. And he called them into Babylon. Every time they were in Babylon eating their food, they become less and less like God's people. And they just became assimilated into Babylon. And there was great despair and there was wonder, are we ever going to go back home? Or will we ever get back to Jerusalem? Will God ever rebuild the temple? Has God totally forgotten us? And, And in the middle of all of this turmoil, God sends a message to them. Now, this message is one of encouragement to them. And I think it's a message we need to hear because I don't know, I mean, you would, uh, all right, opinion alert, opinion alert, right? Here we go. Um, Our nation, let's just talk about us because we're, it's what Americans do well. (laughs) We talk about us a whole lot. Um, Some could argue that even our nation, although it looks like a United States, is in fact broke into a couple pieces, wouldn't you say? I mean, if you don't believe me, just watch the election results every other November and we see blue states and red states and whatever. Like we're one nation, but there seems to be this divide between the two. And and we can oftentimes wonder if maybe this world isn't exactly like we hoped it to be, that we're going through maybe struggle or strife. And yet other people, I mean, this is the craziest thing. You can ask two different people, how do you think things are going in the world today? And they'll give you completely two different answers personal story. I went to lunch with a, a friend of mine who happens to also be my financial advisor, which just sounds so adult. Don't you agree, <laughs> right? I have a financial advisor. And we get together every now and again. And he reminds me that I will never have enough money to retire. <laughs> so <laughs> I call him friend, but I do not like him. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> and, we're, <laughs> and we're sitting at tacos. And as I, as I say, pass the salsa, right? He He pushes across a folder for me, which is my portfolio of investments. And he just tells me, Jeff, your portfolio is doing really great. I'm like, that's awesome. So if you are to ask me, Jeff, how's the world treating you today? I'm like, if I look through the lens of my financial situation, I'd say, not bad, not bad. But you could ask the people sitting at the table next to me and they might have a completely different story that we find ourselves in difficult situations. And sometimes the circumstances all congeal together to make this almost impassable, insufferable circumstance that we're in. And the hope that that God eventually gives to those people as they were held captive into Babylon, I think is the same type of hope that God wants to give us today. God sent a man, a prophet, his name was Isaiah. And he spoke these encouraging words to Israel as they were held off in a dire situation in Babylon. The prophets in the Old Testament, if you don't remember, they were used by God to speak oftentimes words of warning to his people. He would see, hey, hey, man, I see what you're doing over there. Uh, you might want to knock that off because God will judge that if you continue to do If you continue to rebel against God, if you continue to disobey God, then calamity will come your way. And they would warn people and oftentimes encourage them towards this thing called repentance, which just means return back to where God is. And some would argue maybe that's the issue in our world today. We just need to return back to where God is. And I would never disagree with, disagree with that statement. I think that's so true. But oftentimes, the prophets not only brought warning, right, and the issue of repentance, once once judgment had already come, God was quick to send his prophets to remind his people (laughs) that he still loves them, that he still chooses them. You would expect God's prophets to come in there and kick them while they're down. Dummy. Well, you made your bed here. This happened to you because you forsook God. You decided not to follow God. You disobeyed God. On and on it goes. But that's not the story we hear, is it? That God sends his prophets to declare the hope of redemption. This is the story that we get in Isaiah. So if you have a a Bible with you, I'm going to read a couple verses out of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, I I do apologize, I didn't write the page number for the the Bible underneath the seat around you, but you can use that Bible there. When God sends his prophet to speak to his people, um, when Isaiah begins to speak to the Israelites as they are held captive in Babylon, the first thing that he says is this word, uh, do not fear. Do not fear. Which, like, don't worry about it, man, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. Now, can I be honest with you? Does anyone have a friend that comes to you when your life is like in a really funky situation and they say these, these words of platitude, like, oh, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. you have those friends? Maybe you're that friend, right? It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Now, I don't know about you, but when a friend of mine comes to me and says that into my life, when my life is literally the wheels on the bus are coming off, so to speak, and that friend goes, it's going to be fine, Jeff. What I like to do is outstretch my arms and strangle them. That's what I like to do. <laughs> That's my great desire in life, is to shut you up for a moment. Because what the reality is, is they in fact don't know what's going on in my life. They might see some of the outside of it. They might see some of the situational circumstances that I find myself in. But they don't know the deep, deep things in my life. In fact, they they can't help me much. But here's what we know about God. God does know what's happening in our lives. And, and, And here's the great thing. Not only does God know what's happening in the circumstances of our lives, and this is so helpful for us, he knows why it's happening in our lives. The prophet Isaiah, who, who just like Jesus, I would argue, he has this ability to look into Israelites' um, life and see that there's a root cause of their issue. And ladies and gentlemen, I might argue it's a root cause of a lot of our issues today isaiah speaks to them and i wonder if god would speak to us today about pride there's this self-centeredness this arrogance this narcissism about themselves that somehow this thing exists for them and them alone and and that in fact pushes god away pride, if we want to go back into the real root cause of what's happened to the to the Israelites and to even in our own world, it, it, it is the cause of all of this. Pride is this. And, and Isaiah speaks to it. And I want to read Isaiah 43. I want to read verses 5 through 7. And we'll see a little bit about what he's saying. Isaiah, again speaking for God, comes to his people who truly are wondering, are we ever going to get back home? Are we ever going to be able to worship God in the temple again? Are we ever going to be a family united? Will we ever serve God together again? And God comes to them and says these words, fear not, don't worry, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will speak to the north, say give up, and to the south, do not withhold Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone, God says, who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. He is going to bring back his people. But before he does so, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah to these people. For them to have reconciliation, for them to have redemption, for them to have a corrected path in their lives again, they need to understand two things. And that's my work today. In those verses, there are two things that Isaiah speaks to God's people. There are two things that God would speak to his people today. And God, I pray that we would hear you. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? God, I, I pray that we hear your voice today. I pray that we understand what you're saying to us. God, lay us bare so that we have nothing to hide from you. In fact, there is no place we could hide. David said it once, he said, I could go to the highest of the mountains to the depths of the sea, and guess what? You're there. There is no place we can hide. So God, I thank you that you would come and speak into our lives today. God, thank you that you can restore us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. he paints this picture of being able to draw everybody to his name. He, he paints this picture that I'm more powerful than Babylon. Don't sweat the small stuff, he's saying. But verse seven is what really stuck out to me. He says, everyone who is called by my name, everyone, not just anyone, it's everyone who is called by my name. Now, when I saw that, that line, it made me think of something. Um, my da- I have two daughters, teenage daughters. I talk about them a lot. I feel bad for them a little bit, <laughs> but uh, When I were younger one time, I remember one of my daughters came to me and she said something. She used that classical argument that most adolescents use. Well, all of my friends are doing it, right? Dad, I want to do this thing. Can I do this thing? And I'm like, absolutely not. I don't even remember what it was. kind of doesn't matter. I just remember what I said to her. And I said, well, they might be doing that, but we're Wattses. My last name is Watts, right? So we're Wattses and Wattses don't do that. Now, before you think it was some like really awesome pious thing, like we're trying to be righteous, it was probably just like, can we stay up past 10? I'm like, no, we don't do that around here. We go to bed early because old man Jeff needs more sleep. It doesn't matter what it was. I just said these words. We don't do that because we're Watchers. We're called by a different name than everyone else. And what God is saying here, for everyone that is called by my name, for everyone that is unique, for everyone that is mine and mine alone, I will call back. Not all, just those called by my name. And then he says these words, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and whom I made. The first thing God wants us to see here is that God created us. And there's, in fact, a purpose for our creation. In fact, those three synonyms, uh, created, formed, made, they tell the story of what God has done in their lives, and hear me, and what God is doing in our lives. When Isaiah said that, God said that God created us, what he's saying, I, I made you out of nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, know this, you exist because God willed it. You're not some some night of passion. You're not just here because of a night of passion from your parents, I don't know how many years ago. There's in fact a will that God set upon the earth and he willed you here. He says, I created you. When we read back in Genesis 1 and 2 where God created mankind, we learn this language that he created mankind in his image. We have been destined to be image bearers of God the creator. That we are supposed to look like him on the earth. And so when people look to us who are called by his names by his name, when people look to us who call ourselves Christians, they are supposed to see him first before they see us. That's challenging. That's real real challenging to us. I created you, he says. So before you lose hope, Before I restore you back to Israel, before we rebuild the temple and we worship, we do all this great stuff, you need to understand, I created you. This idea of being the image bearer for God is important for us. The the world looks at us and wonders what God looks like. Are we giving them an accurate representation of who God is? I'll I'll leave that with you. The second word, I, I formed you. He created out of nothing, made us, and now he's formed us. This gives a picture of shaping. These are three different Hebrew words that they use. It's shaping us. It's molding us. So yeah, we've been cut out of the logs, so to speak, and now he's shaping us, sanding us, modeling us into the person he wants us to be. Now I know this, I don't know about you guys, but for me, my circumstances are sometimes the greatest uh, tool that God uses to shape me and form me into the person he wants me to be right? When I don't have patience, the Lord just lovingly sends me to Walmart to work on it. <laughs> right? Now, you guys might remember years ago, I, I professed from the stage that I stopped shopping at Walmart. I no longer go there anymore, right? I don't. I stopped going there until recently when God told me to go back to Walmart. I think they had a sale on something. I don't know what it was. But I went, and I was was so quickly reminded why I don't go there. (laughs) Um, And yet, I was also reminded of how short my temper can be and how frustrated I can be if I don't get the front parking spot. Right? If people walk a little too slow down the crowded aisles. I mean, all all of that. I created you. I formed you. I shaped you. I'm molding you. I'm making you into the person that I want you to be. And then the last one, says, and I made you. I've made you. And this last word here, it, it implies a completeness, a finishedness. That God, in fact, creates forms and shapes and completes. And He does all of this. And this is where, this is, this is the explosion in the room when Isaiah says these words from God, and I've done all of this for my glory. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. There's nothing to do with you to do with me. In fact, all of this by God, God's great design and care and love for us is for His glory. It's for Him. When He asks us to be an image bearer for the world to see, it's for Him. It's not for us. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. It has nothing to do with us. I do believe we get to have some joy in this life, yes. It's not all struggle and strife. It's It's wonderful, but know this, it's all intended to bring glory to God. What's funny is um, the Apostle Paul picks up on this when he's writing to another group of Christians in a church called Corinth. It's in an ancient city in Greece, and Paul is writing to these, these Corinthians Right in his letter into 1 Corinthians. And there's been some discussion as to uh, this. You know, Now that we're Christians, we have all kinds of freedoms or liberties in Christ. Right? We don't have to obey the law anymore, but if we want to, we can. And all this and that. And there's been so, well, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Can we not meet, eat, or eat meat sacrificed to idols? My answer is, I don't know, is it in a taco? Because if it's in a taco, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> you can offer that to Satan. I'll still eat it if you put it in a, a taco. That sounded weird. Anyway, so... <laughs> But Paul the Apostle, he, he sort of picks up on this language. I mean, he really was filled with the Spirit of God. He really does speak with authority from God's Word. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. All of it. I get an opportunity to counsel young people occasionally, and there's questions oftentimes, do you think I should go to the mission field? And, sure, sounds great. You think I maybe should be a doctor because I like doctor stuff? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and they're waiting for me to tell them what's the more noble thing to do. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, you want to be a stay-at-home mom, kill it. All for the glory of God. Just murder it. Just do it great for God's glory. You want to you go join the service? Go join the service. You want to go off to do the Peace Corps? That's fine. You want to be a plumber? Awesome, right? All these things, but do all of it to the glory of God. There's, in fact, a reason and a purpose for all of it. It's for His glory. One of the things we pray most every week before we come out here to preach and and do worship is we ask God that that He would make Jesus exalted in this place, that Jesus would be known. I don't know if you've never been to a church um, that exalts Jesus as much as we do. It is about Jesus always and forever. It can never be about anything else. Paul even says, I preach one thing, Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's it. Because everything that God has done for us is for his glory. Jesus, interestingly enough, picks up some of this language in his Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching to his, follow, he's teaching his followers. Jesus had just started his ministry. People are gathering around him. And he goes up the side of a mountain and begins to teach to them. And in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, he says these words. He says, you people, and maybe you should hear this today too. He says, you are the light of the world. You. I'm not, I'm not rebuilding a fantabulous temple that's going to be wonderful. You know, other religions have their mecca that people pilgrimage to. Yeah, we're not doing that. He says, you, in fact, will be the light of the world. And wherever you are, the, the, the light in me will draw people to that, like moths to a flame. He says, you, in fact, are the light of the world. And then he, he continues down here in uh, chapter 5, verse 16. He says, so let this light shine. He says, let it shine before others. Don't just take this light and go be a recluse with it, which is appealing as that sounds some days. Right? Don't just be a light and hide yourself you know, under uh, the covers somewhere, but let your light shine so that others can see it. They will see your good works, and they will give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. Even Jesus talking to us as as Christians is saying that the the good works that we do are driven by this desire to be a light for others to see. For others to see. They will look at what you've done and glorify God in it. What's interesting in in Luke's gospel, I don't have these words for you, so this is just part of my study. This is the stuff that Joe and I do every week. We overread, and we never use most of it, but I want to use this one thing for you. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is um, confronted by a young man who the Bible calls a lawyer. Now, he's not the lawyer like the ambulance chasers that we have today. What, we ha- what this guy is, is he-, he understands the Old Testament law, the Torah, the Torah. He understands all of that. Not just does he have it memorized and can speak about it, but he understands the interpretations of all the law. So he's a lawyer. He understands what it's like to live a godly life. This lawyer comes to Jesus and asks questions. And he says, what is the greatest command in all of the law? As if to catch Jesus in this little trick. And in Jesus, in great Jesus fashion, he's like, I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me. And in Luke chapter 10, it says the lawyer goes, well, okay, all right. It's this, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you love, love God with everything you have, right? Check. And then the second thing is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies to him, that's it. That's it. All that God is calling us to, to be a light in this world, is to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourself. That's the very work that stands before us. Jeff, I don't know. Should I be a doctor? Should I be a this? Should I be? I don't know. Just love God with everything you got, <laughs> right? Don't, don't let your wife be greater than the Lord in your house. Oh, Don't let your children be greater than me in your house. There can be no other gods before me, he says. Oh. Maybe this will be helpful, parents. Loving reminder that it is our greatest desire and goal to train our children and then have them leave the house, say amen. <laughs> Teach them up, train them up in the way that they would go and say, sayonara, see you later. <laughs> Send postcards wherever you go. <laughs> and, and everything that we do, we love God and we love our neighbors as ourselves. What's interesting, this lawyer takes that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, from a passage in Leviticus. Does anyone ever read Leviticus? It's an Old Testament book. It's filled with death, sacrifice, rules. It's like really awesome, honestly. And in the middle of all of this book of Leviticus, which is, I mean, again, filled with regulations and sacrifice and all that. In the middle of this book, in chapter 19, there's this glorious moment where, where God says a couple things. He says, I am holy, so you should be holy like me. And he goes through a couple of things. And then the, t- the tail end of verse, uh, chapter 19, he says these words, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Like that's in the law. That's in the commands of God with all the ritual sacrificing, the hand washing, the everything washing. Like all of that. He says, oh, and by the way, love me with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. And what's so... What's so incredible in that story is that we actually get a list of things to do. Because I don't know about you, I'm a list guy. Don't just tell me to love God with everything and to love my neighbor as myself. How do I do that? And Leviticus 19 gives us that. I want to read a pretty big portion of Scripture as I close here. Well, here I want to start in um, Leviticus 19. I want to start in verse 11. This is what God would say loving your neighbor looks like. And you might agree with some of these things. Um, He says you should not steal from them. Thank you for that, Lord. Um, You shall not deal falsely with them. You should not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. He reminds them. Don't oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all the night until morning. So this getting paid every other week is actually sinful. I just want to write that down. (laughs) I wonder what it looked like if we did get paid every day. We'd have no money in the bank, I'm just saying. He says, don't curse the deaf person or put a stumbling block before the blind person. But in everything you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. Always seek justice first. Don't be partial to the poor. or Defer to the great. Oh, speak. But in righteousness, he says, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, bad-mouthing others. Nor shall you, don't stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17. You shall not hate, your brother in your heart oh man if, if you ever underline anything in your Bible in Jesus name underline this next line but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor in and, and today's day and age we are so separated so polarized over so many issues in our life in fact I, I saw someone tweet recently that says we just lost the ability to have a conversation. We've just lost it. It has been abandoned to us. I don't blame social media, but it hasn't helped, has it? When I was at lunch with my friend, the financial advisor, um, I reminded him that when you like something in social media, the, the algori- algorithms behind social media just keep sending you stuff that you like. And you like that, and then it sends you more stuff. And it's just sort of building up this very narrow stream of stuff like you. And yet, there's an entirety of the world out here that has a difference in opinion, but you no longer see it and hear it. So, we've sort of cut ourselves off from dissenting opinion in our lives. And then, the greatest thing in all of this is if we do not like what someone says, we can unlike or unfollow. See ya. But that's not the world that God's called us into, that we're in fact supposed to, uh, what's he say? reason frankly with your neighbor. It doesn't say reason loudly, and it says reason, right? Like, be educated. Opinion alert, opinion alert, opinion alert. This is so broken in our culture, and yet this is what God would have us do to love our neighbors, lest you incur sin because of them. (laughs) You ever get so mad at someone, you lose your salvation? Yes, the answer is yes to that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you say words, you're like, God, I don't know if I'm saved anymore. <laughs> and he follows it up, and don't take vengeance against them, don't bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And here it is, this one phrase, it's the only time we read about it in the Old Testament, and yet it permeates all of scripture, it permeates the words of Jesus, and this lawyer who studies the things of the law, and he says right here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'll close with this last little thought. Um, Same chapter, verse 9. I skipped this intentionally. I'll close with this last thought. This is how God opens the loving your neighbor portion. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap your field up to its edge. Neither shall you gather all the gleanings after the harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather all of the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You should leave all of those things for the poor and the sojourner, for I am the Lord. What this means for us is that when, when the, the ancient people would, would sort of toil this, the land, pull the rocks out, labor over it, plant the, the fields, um, grow the wheat, grow the corn, grow the whatever. And he says at the end of the season, after, of course, God has blessed it with sun, God has blessed it, right, with rain and all those things. At harvest time, when you go to harvest it, he says, leave some of it. Like, don't get greedy. Don't get all the way to the corners of the fields. And if you ever drop something, if you're pushing a wheelbarrow and you spill some stuff out, he says, leave it. There's an intention behind that. And he says, so when the, the sojourner, the one who passes by, comes walking through, he'll see this food, be able to gather it for himself and eat I talked to Joe about this this week. This is this one verse is why we're talking about this today, because it dawned on me in the middle of that command, God is God is revealing His glory to the nations around that do not understand Him. So just follow my logic here. So so uh, John comes walking through. Let's say he's not from Israel. He has no idea. He's, he's walking through Israel to get to Grandma's house. That sounds like a like a Red Riding Hood thing, but he's going to grandma's house over here, and he's hungry, and he comes across this field that has, it's been harvested, yet there's still food there. And he goes, that's strange, but thank you. And he eats some of the food. and then he goes to the next field and sees the exact same thing. And the exact same thing is he makes his way all the way through Israel. He keeps, he keeps wondering to himself, what is wrong with these people? Like, who would toil all those hours, plant all the, those crops, and then leave it? Who would do that? And then one day he asked someone, why do you do that? And they said, oh, because we serve a God who cares about you. Because we serve a God who, who wants you to know you're always welcome here. You always find food here. You always be able to make your way through. We won't harm you. We'll, we'll support you as you make your way through. Oh, and we'll also do that to the poor among us. See, loving our neighbor looks like helping others, but all for the glory of God. That they might see who God is. think as a nation, opinion alert, I think as a nation, sometimes we can miss that a little. We can miss that, that God has called us in everything we do to, to love him with everything and to love our neighbor as ourself. And there is a way to care for the, the sojourner, the immigrant. There's a way to, to care for the poor. And there's a way to do it that's not just charity, It's not just morality, but it's in fact informed by the Spirit of God inside of us to make God's name be great. Period and amen. Yes. I'm I'm long on time, and if I keep talking, um, the band will form a mutiny and... uh, So, can we just posture ourselves before the Lord and just maybe say some things like this, um, God, all the things that we're hearing today are in fact an impossible feat for us, that we can't do these things on our own. But because of Jesus' sacrificial death on a cross and because of his resurrection and the newness of life that's been made available to us and the the Spirit of God that we've been talking about these last many weeks, because the the Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us, we can, in fact, do this for your glory. That you speak against the pride and the self-centeredness of our lives and reorient it towards yourself. Paul, the apostle, says that he is no longer a slave (laughs) To sin, but he so chooses to be a slave to God, a bond servant to God. They choose us to follow the will of God. I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us to follow after your will today. I put no application at the end of this message because I think God wants to speak to his people individually. So, God, would you just use your spirit to open our hearts to hear what you have to say? God, the word of God helps us. I believe that to be true. The word of God helps us. Lord, we have we have wandered from you. We have disobeyed you and your assuring voice is, I haven't forsaken you. I've, I've called you my own. I'm bringing you back. But you're addressing the issues of pride in our lives, God. Thank you for that. Make us humble servants, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendecatur.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.